from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. This is Barry. Good morning. This is Michelle. And this is Mark, and we've got an alligator in the background. <laughs> yeah, <it's> so <laughs> hey, guest, could you stop doing whatever it is you're doing back there? We're trying to riff in here. <laughs> so All right. Put down the hammer. Step away from the hammer. It's been a crazy morning, hasn't it, here at the podcast? Actually, it has. The guests in the studio ahead of us were, uh, were running a little late. That always causes a little bit of drama. They're being studio hogs. They were. Seriously. Yeah. They'll but pay for it. Yeah. They had a good time. <laughs> oh. <coughs> Not that I know what I'm doing. Nice. But we've cleared the studio now, right? Yes. Yes. Smoke yes. is out of smoke the is air. Smoke on the water. Oh. That's a first. Perry's <laughs> singing. <laughs> well, no, he did the Green Acres thing. Yeah, I did. Oh, oh yeah. man. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So here we are today with a guest who is in held in high esteem, at least in my mind. I know in Michelle's mind, too. Yay. Um, we have... Before I say, who was the person that we um, interviewed some time back who was the grandfather, the, the old original gangster of Tiny Houses? What was his name? The architect? Oh, man. Oh, I know, man. Right? You need to look at show notes. I don't remember. Well, anyway, we have the father of <laughs> Tiny Houses, Jay Schaefer. <laughs> Welcome, Jay. Hi. Whoa. Can you hear me? Really, really loudly. I wow. can. We can. Yeah. How's it going? <laughs> Uh, it's going well. Okay, great. Excellent. So, Jay, where, where are we reaching you? We understand you're in your car somewhere. Yeah, I figure it's my my um, soundproof uh, box. It's my portable studio, and I'm up on a hill in Sebastopol, California. Sebastopol. Where's, where is that for uh, those of us who don't know California that well? Well, it's, uh, it's actually a north. It's north of the Golden Gate Bridge by an hour if you're driving. Okay. You'd be surprised how often our guests actually sit in their cars and record with us. I think this is like the at least the third, the third off the top of yeah. my head, if not the fourth. We had a guy fourth. who was... Casita. Casita. Yeah, him. Tesla. Oh, that's right. Kim Castle. That's right. And Jay, and Jay. Shaver. So. The, the, Apparently all of our guests are homeless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't say which guest it was, but there was a person who was sitting in their car clipping their nails while they were doing the show. Yeah, that, was, the that show. was hilarious. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> So, um, Jay, everybody knows you, but um, why don't you just give us a quick history of who you are? Oh, well, I, um, I guess my, my relevance to the tiny house movement seems to be that I built myself a tiny house about 20 years ago in 1999. After living in an Airstream trailer for a couple of years, I decided I um, needed some insulation in my walls, something more than an RV you know, recreational vehicle. I needed a habitable vehicle, an HV. So I built myself a place on wheels with insulation and all the comforts of home made it look very homey with all the archetypal home forms like the gable roof. And since doing that, I've been, uh, I've been honored to see a lot of other people doing it too. So where did you get the idea to build a tiny house? Well, um, I, it really started with a need for simplicity in my own life. I don't deal with a lot of complexities well. 
And for that matter, I'm not a big money maker. That's not my goal in life. So I decided that instead of paying for a mortgage on a quote-unquote normal house, I would just build my own from scratch. And um, I'm also a bit of a design geek, so it was fun for me to uh, just sit down and spend hundreds of hours trying to figure out how I was going to fit an entire life into 120 square feet. Did you uh, plan on having it built or building it on a trailer, or was this on a on the ground? Well, it was sort of a... It was originally I was designing it to be on the ground. Um, I did like the idea of portability since it was so small anyway. But when I realized that the codes and zoning didn't allow for a house that small on the ground, um, my decision was made to build it on a chassis. And did at the time, Jay, were other people building tiny houses? Um, yeah, there was uh, one company out there as opposed to the, the gazillions now. Um, but there was one company out east called Tiny House Company. I was made aware of them later after I called my first company, Tumbleweed Tiny House Company. And, um, and they contacted me to say, we could sue you for using Tiny House Company, but we're not going to do that because we like your stuff. So you can use <laughs> Very generous of them. That was very generous of them, actually. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, okay, so you built your, your home, and then um, we kind of skipped ahead, but how did you get from uh, not being sued by that other company to starting your own company, or, or having your own house, and then thinking about starting your own company, and then getting this sue situation going on? How does uh, Tumbleweed get started? Well, it was all kind of concurrent. That sounded because like a Michelle it question. It sounded like a Michelle question. <laughs> Seven murders. Such Sorry. a Michelle question. Jeez. That wasn't Michelle. I thought that was Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Got a frog in my throat. Yeah. The frog in her throat. Um, well, it was all somewhat concurrent because I could see some of the issues that needed to be addressed. As far as I was concerned, it seemed weird to me that the International Code Council, you know, the folks who make building codes comprised largely of the building industry and insurance industries and whatnot were dictating how much of their product we needed to buy in terms of what size the house needed to be without any um, testing as to how, how it would be safer that way. So as I was designing my first house and realizing I needed to put it on wheels for legal reasons, I began writing a book. The small house, it would later become the small house book. Yay. And... Um, that is, uh, and then I decided, you know, I, the only way I know, at least at that time, the only way I knew of how to um, propagate or at least um, get one's ideas out was through a business. So I started a tiny house company as a way of putting my designs out there and my ideas. Okay, I'm going to get back to the company in a minute, but I, when you're talking, I just had another inspiration to ask you this, this question. Where, what was, what was your life like growing up and how did you get to the point of even having the cojones to build a house? Oh, well, I was actually raised, um, I kind of considered a badge of honor to have been raised in Orange County, California, which is, if not the epicenter of McMansions and Sprawl, it certainly is right up there with the best of them. And so... Um, being the one of the two house cleaners of my household, my sister and I were the maids, basically. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I always, was, too. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, then you'd probably understand the envy I had for kids who actually would play on the weekends instead of cleaning bathrooms and vacuuming. So I <laughs> totally. And I, I envied my grandparents too, who lived in an airstream trailer during the summers for about four months of the year. Wow. So so okay, so you were you were basically cleaning bathrooms and vacuuming as a kid, but then how did you where did you gain your skills from? Oh, it was totally self taught. Well, self taught in the sense that um, once I, well, I bought the Airstream in 1997 and renovated it because, you know, it came with lime green for my good countertops and orange shag and, and asbestos tiling under the shag. And while it may have been okay in a retro way, it was totally trashed. It was like all, it smelled like cat pee for one thing. <laughs> nice. So I ripped everything out, and that was my first building experience, which was, which was pretty minimal, you know, just putting in them. Um, I had a screwdriver and a jigsaw and not too much else. So I, I figured out the common sense of how to put boards up and rip other boards down that way. And then when I built my, my first house, I did it in the um, hayfield of a guy who's a contractor. So he would come out every three days and tell me which boards needed to be ripped down. <laughs> And which ones were good to go. <laughs> I'm so excited to report that I have a similar story. And matter of fact, again, we, we hear this we hear this time and time again. Um, people that buy old trailers and renovate them and sort of uh, build their acumen and perfect their skill set and then think, hey, I'm going to do this for real and I'm going to build a house. Yeah, that's kind of what I did. I figured the Airstream was just the test run for me. And it taught me a lot. I bet it did. So, so you, you had the chance to build the or renovate the interior of the Airstream, and you said it didn't have enough installation earlier on. So, so that was your first build project. And then, so I imagine if I tried to build a tiny house right now, um, I want to refer to this movie where Gene Hackman, he's a, he's, a, he's a sheriff. I think it was Unforgiven. He's a sheriff, and he builds this house um, while Clint Eastwood and um, Danny Glover are these old-time outlaws and they're getting back into the outlaw business because they have to but anyway um uh gene hackman has built this house and he's in this house during a rainstorm and the water is just dripping just from everywhere like 20 different places and you can tell that the walls aren't plumbed i imagine that would be my tiny house if i were to build one so so i imagine that's your house now Perry. it's very close <laughs> <laughs> it's called the dog house <laughs> anyway so okay so you so you um so you, you, you established your own skills in building. Did you have any business skills uh, that, that lent themselves to building the tiny house company that you built? Not tiny house company, but time to week tiny house. Uh-huh. Um, no, I did not at all. In fact, I, some would say, rightly so, that I still don't. I, um, <laughs> Michelle's Basically, <laughs> that company was my art project, as have all the tiny houses then I went to art school, and um, everything involved evolved from painting to sculpture to architectural sculpture into tiny houses. And I, um, the business was just a way, kind of like an armature, on which to place my um, art project. So I still, you know, I guess this is a good as good a time as any putting a plug out there. I'm still looking for somebody who knows how to run a business and um, monetize my brilliant skills because uh, that's the part I'm not good at. Okay, so a somewhat insensitive question. Isn't the person who now runs Tumbleweed, wasn't that person the person that you were looking for? What happened there? 
Um, it was the. It seemed to be the person at the time, but uh, you know things went sour when. I guess I'm only a control freak when it comes to a couple things in this world, and that's the design and messaging of the houses and the tiny house philosophy. So I claim that in our contract, but soon I found blog posts written in my name that weren't written by me, and the designs started getting tweaked to places where I didn't want them. So um, so I just, uh, after some other ethical differences... I went my own way, uh, thinking I could take my name and my book and my new designs with me. Unfortunately, they kept writing in my name and, and uh, answering. Actually, I don't know if you knew this. Not many people do, but some even some phone interviews with the media were done as Jay Schaefer, even though it wasn't me. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, wow. that's Perry, brazen. you do not have my permission to do that. <laughs> you cannot so for all you know, me. this is not Jay Schaefer. This could be... Exactly. <laughs> it could be Steve Sassman sitting in his Tesla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah it's a lot like those other stories where, you know, the inventor gets kind of screwed because they don't have the business sense. Yeah. Michelle doesn't know anything about that story at all, either. <laughs> no, not really. Jay, but yes, I think we need to, like, meet for drinks or something. We have so yeah. much in common. I knew that the very first moment I got your first text. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, uh, guys, also remind me uh, when we pack uh, for our trip this August, don't forget my Jay Schaefer book because uh, he's going to sign it this time. All right. I, I will be sure time. to remember that. But would you please remind me to remind you? Yes. Okay. And, and nobody will be catfishing Jay Schaefer. He'll be himself. <laughs> that's exactly right. We'll walk up to him and go, oh, my God, this is not the guy. Because <laughs> we won't guy. recognize that's him. That's right. <laughs> So okay, so so you you what you what did you study in art school? Um, well, I studied officially. I studied painting and drawing, but it really turned into I made my own religion. That was kind of my overarching art project, and so um, with nature as my goddess and society as my god, I made all sorts of icons and shrines and yada yada. It was kind of like a secular piety thing, where. Um, Everything was pretty, pretty much on the ground in terms of its, um, you know, it was all real world stuff. But I was trying to um, to make it sacred, and that's actually how I started using sacred geometry in all my house designs as well. Is because the the symbol is. I'm basically a meaning addict. I need meaning everywhere, and if it's not there, I'll make it up. But right on. Can you send, I, um, us, send us some pictures of some of your your religious iconography? We could put that. Oh yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Iconography. Isn't that how you say that word? I think so. Wow. That's yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Anyway, so. Um, <laughs> so I have this mantra that yeah. whatever look you were going for, you missed, and uh, the the only reason why I bring it up is because. Um, Again, conceptually, it's really, really difficult to explain what meaningful geometry is, but it's really, really easy to identify what it's not. Does that make sense? Just uh, to so, me. Yes. So I appreciate the intentionality behind your design. I appreciate the intentionality and even how you're able to verbalize you know, um, your design. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much everything to me. I just need a lot of meaning in my life, so... And so, um, I guess money would be good too, and that that will come. Well, money <laughs> money has meaning, and meaning has money. Yes, yes. And Ninety-nine it's not, problems, but it's not all about money. Exactly. 
<laughs> he was just rapping. I was just rapping. Just That's funny. Um, You're just in a songy mood. I'm kind of in a songy mood. <laughs> uh, so okay, so you, so your your homes are the homes that I've seen you do. Um, both, I presume, the tumbleweed original designs were yours, and then the four lights tiny houses that you. Um, are you still doing that business? I am. Uh, it's funny you should ask that. That's a very um, good way to put it. It's like <laughs> I've disappeared. Been hard to find me ever since I left Tumbleweed. I mean, even good friends of mine are like, "How's Tumbleweed doing?" I'm like, uh, "I haven't worked for Tumbleweed for a couple of years now, maybe Ooh, three or four. What? So it's it's tough because my name is so closely associated with that. Yeah, that I have I have. To, well, I guess it helps if you do blog posts and stuff. So I've got to really get that traffic up through doing some um, putting some information out through the website and all. Well, it's interesting because the. I, I believe the last time I looked at Four Lights, all the houses are built on the ground, right? Yeah, you know, I've, I started designing them so they could be built on the ground, but then set on trailers too. Okay. So you could either call it a trailer or a house or move it onto a trailer and then it becomes, it goes from one to the other. How are you, um, if you don't mind me, of course you don't mind because everything's open. How do you, um, how are you doing with that business? Well, it's been tough. Uh, I haven't been able to focus as much on my design work and and tiny house stuff as I'd like. Although it doesn't seem like I have to, considering how many messengers are out there now. It's crazy how big the tiny house movement has become. Isn't it though? So yeah. Is that benefiting you, or like, uh, do you do you get orders for your your homes, or how's how's the business going? Um, I have not, it's, frankly, it's, uh, it's hanging on by a shoestring right now or a thread. Um, and that's largely because I have ignored it, uh, in, in favor of dealing with all this other stuff in my life. But what's happened is, um, my happy place is designing houses. So that's where, what I can't stop doing that. So now I have all these, all my best designs are sitting here in this bag next to me in the car. And, uh. I haven't released them yet because I don't have the money to release them, but they are awesome. So I'm very excited to do some sort of, um, I'll get them out there. They're coming out. Okay. You were like the nutty professor of <laughs> tiny house design. <laughs> I am. I'm kind of a very absent-minded professor. I'm brilliant, brilliant in some ways and then not so much in other ways. So right now I got to call for some brilliance to actually get my work out. Where, where are you currently living? Um, I, oh, it's so like, funny you I should mean, ask. I'm sorry, I mean, like, not, not location, but what are you living what kind in? Of facility? Yes. Are you a poser? <laughs> are you actually living in a tiny house, or are you a poser? That's what he really wanted. Oh, I'm so glad that I actually moved into my tiny house about two weeks ago, so I could sit down. <laughs> Before that, it was even tinier in the sense that, um, I was homeless for about 20 months. Um... Weird stuff, a lot of embezzlement. I've been embezzled from four times, and that's because I've been a psychomagnet. I finally realized that. <laughs> I realize I am the common denominator there, so it is actually largely my fault. Um, but I wound up with virtually nothing living on the streets, which is, oddly enough, a gift, considering how much it's taught me in terms of what's truly necessary, not only in terms of housing, but... You know, beyond that, in terms of the self and life in general and um, spirituality and, and whatnot. Which was really the, um, when, you, when I think back, 
the tiny house thing is real. For me, it was always a self-portrait sort of art thing, talking about the pared-down life. You know, yeah, what I, is y- yeah. to life? Yeah, I get it. So, so where were? So, I want to, I want to, I want to probe a bit on what you're talking about because it really hits close yeah. to my home. What were you? What were you spiritually speaking when you were like growing up? And then, how did that change given the experience that you just talked about? Well, I was raised um, sort of Methodist, I guess. You know, we'd go to church on uh, on certain holidays if we had the time. Um, I, I believed that I was going to rot in hell if I didn't go to church on those days, and um, it just evolved from that into. Well, I, I, I really believe in integrity um, and that all parts, if, if, it, if the parts aren't integral to the whole, then it ain't working for me. So, you know, just um, letting necessity lead and adhering to truth, love, and beauty. That's my trinity. And that all comes, you know, the people who have worked closest with me know that that's actually my business model. I guess if I maybe if I added money to that and made it four things instead of just truth, love, beauty, it would um, be easier for all of us, those who try to help me run the business and all. But the um, the idea is just that all th- you know all things should be reflected in every work of art, and where, that is pretty much everything. Where does that come from? That's that's not a Methodist um, uh, doctrine. Yeah, yeah. I think it. Um, I think it was from. A Room with a View, the movie version, because uh, I remember some guy standing in a tree in that movie shouting, truth, love, beauty, and it's like, oh, that's a good mantra right there, I'll take it. <laughs> and Because it pretty much encapsulates everything, you know, it's the physical, the the mental, and the, um, and then the, the everything that those, those things actually um, comprise. So, I guess I just ran with that as my theme for all art and it, it, it I carried it into the tiny house stuff just reflecting and then, everything and then you said that you were you in this homeless experience you have this kind of even deeper spiritual epiphany what happened oh um well they, I guess some people call it the gift of desperation other co- people call it um can we swear on this show I don't absolutely. know absolutely absolutely oh goody, <laughs> goody. right off <laughs> Well, AFCO is another word for it, which is an acronym for another fucking growth opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Or the crucifixion myth, where everything you thought was everything gets stripped away, including the meaning, the very idea of meaning. So when I um, lost everything in basically a day, I became very um, attuned to finding new meaning that was more um, integral to my real-world experience and to really rounding up what was truly necessary um, to a good life. And I'm still in that process. I haven't rounded it all up, but I think I've gotten rid of most everything, at least at my better moments, I've gotten rid of everything that stands in the way between me and, you know, integrity, the greater good, the big picture. Right. Things like resent, you know, like resentment and you know, remorse, all those recycled emotions that don't get moved forward. Yeah. What, I feel like I'm getting totally metaphysical, but you did beat okay. me on that. No, break, no, we're going there. We're going there. So what you said that you lost everything in a day, what happened? Oh boy. Um, well, this will be the, the first, you guys are getting a huge scooper. I, have, I haven't even done media interviews for a long, long time. 
But here we go. Um, I discovered that my wife had embezzled all of our money and had been doing so slowly since the very first day we married. And the day after I discovered that, she filed, or not the day after, but shortly thereafter, she filed fake domestic violence charges. So at that point, in California anyway, you are guilty because um, it's very, it's a strange uh, system, but they're very good at getting convictions without ever having to go through any sort of legal, true legal process. So I have been a perpetrator of such things ever since in the eyes of the law. Although, frankly, the judges see through it and they are trying to, basically I'm getting a lot of slack from the, the good judges in there. And um, so it has been an uphill battle just trying to maintain my own integrity. Keeping ahead of the re resentment part and all that other stuff is tough when, when there's so much going on in terms of um, people work, trying to uh, work against you, yeah. essentially. Yeah. But, wow, I just told all of that. Did I just say that publicly out loud? You said that out loud. It, yeah, it, well, that's, I, I guess I told you I'm an open book, and yeah. I, I got it. Yeah, that's it. And maybe it was a little cathartic. <laughs> I think it will be. I'll just listen to this over and over again. There you go. <laughs> so about 13 years ago, I had a somewhat similar experience to yours in that my life imploded and lost you know, absolutely everything, but pretty much the shirt off my back. Um, and it's interesting because part of you wants to look back and say, wow, what can I learn from that experience? How can I take that experience and make myself a better person and make sure I don't make that mistake? And part of you, part of me, um, I don't want to dwell in the past. I want to look forward. So there's this constant fight between your sort of logical self and your emotional self. Um, have you have you experienced that? Have you are you still struggling with learning the lessons of your past, but yet uh, also wanting to move forward? And do you find that also like spurs your creativity? Yeah, yes to all those um, implied questions and other questions because I actually um, I don't have much choice, as you would know, Michelle, from your experience there. Uh, when you've lost virtually everything, you uh, you gotta either it's like well. It's one one way or the other, and you you know it's like all superheroes. All superheroes have wounds, and all villains have wounds. And the only difference between them is those who have milked the gifts from their wounds, or those who are still operating out of that um, that place of having been dissed by a bunch of bats or a spider or what or, or a judiciary or whatever. Right on, man. You know your comics. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what. Um... How much money does she embezzle? Wow. Oh, good. Uh, that's a tough one. It's still so up. You know, the judiciary is so eager to keep this thing uh, at a standstill because a cop wasn't very intimately involved with the, the process, with the process, and it doesn't look good for them. Hmm. But looking at all the records, there are like over thirty-five pieces of evidence showing that it was just about two hundred thousand dollars, which really isn't that much overall. But when you're living on the streets, it sounds like a lot of money. Well, yeah, I think most people would say that is a lot of money. Absolutely. Let me see how many tiny houses could we exactly. build with two hundred thousand. Mine cost thirty-five. So if someone's nice. really good at math, they could they could so come up with that number. Seven. At least seven. Well, and, and to the other, other question that you had, Michelle, about um, spurring creativity, I know what it feels like to be depressed. I've been depressed before. So many of us have. 
Um, and that kind of spinning, going nowhere sadness uh, is different than the grieving process where I'm just like, you know, uh, get this, you know, get this remorse and this resentment and everything else out of the way. And in, in that, moving forward with moving the energy forward, I've actually found a lot of creativity because as, as I have chosen tiny house design as my sort of affinity therapy in my life, I've, um, I've designed houses now that could be built for like $1,500 in materials. And, um, and in this time, since it's all, it's really my happy place, I just indulge myself and look at ways to build more efficiently in terms of like maintaining, um, not going through heat loss with the walls. I've just uh, looked into a lot of building science. It's uh, how I geek out and stay happy. And it turns out th things like once you get more than like 20 R's in your wall, maybe even 15 uh, of insulation, a certain amount of insulation is enough. After that, the diminishing returns of insulation add almost nothing. So you can, you can actually have a thin wall and you can actually have a really minimal structure that's stronger and better than some of the stuff they're putting out is supposedly green or better. There's a there's a saying in the tiny house movement that it's um it's not just about the house, right? And so what we've been talking about here um, is again, it's not just about the house, it's also about the process. It's about the intentionality. It's about all the things that you go through that lead you not only to a tiny house, the physical space itself, but some people that come in my house, they say it's like standing on the inside of my own head. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's witty and it's colorful and it's catchy and it's modern, but yet, you know, nostalgic. So, um, so thank you for sharing. Again, I find myself sitting here and just like nodding. Um, we're, we're really talking not just about the physical tiny houses, but the process you go through during and after and what leads you to the next one. Already I look at tiny houses and I'm like, when I do my next one, I'm going to do it differently. So thank you for sharing. I think all of us have a, have a, can really relate to, um, again, difficulties and depression and what do we do with that information and how do we process it creatively? And that's what led me to my tiny house as well. Well, it's interesting because we all have well, tiny, the people who we've spoken to who live in tiny houses have had some sort of a minimization epiphany that took them into the tiny house movement. And yours, um, Jay, is probably the most stark experience that we've heard so far. Yeah, I mean, it started out, I never, I never used the word homeless in my marketing because I just don't, I, I think of pee when I, um, I hear the word homeless. <laughs> the smell of pee, smell of rancid pee. That's the worst tagline in the world. <laughs> Let's not Let's call not the show that. episode yeah. that. Okay, write that one down. Well, yeah. that. I'm trying to rebrand homelessness so I can actually use the term in my new marketing, you know, for the new more efficient houses. And um, I came up with a musical, and the, the, the primary song is um, uh, The New Face of Homeless Doesn't Smell Like Pee, But I Do. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I think Zach Giffen, didn't he talk about living in his car or yeah. living in his yeah. RV? And Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah. That's and right. He, yeah. And um, also, that I, I know of a tiny house family who actually their main house 
burnt to the ground. Um, and they had this very sort of emotional experience interacting with the very, very few objects that they were able to save. Wow. Um, so there are some also other stark examples. Again, there's just so much commonality between your story and, and others in the tiny house movement. It's pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. I was going to yeah. go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead Jay. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, it seems like the best of, of times and the worst of times building a tiny house. And, and the ultimate thing is that you're, um, they seem like uh, self-portraits in the end that reflect all those things and ultimately the good stuff. Well, that's beautifully said. It's funny, the, uh, the whole movement occurs to me as like a great big, I want to say fart, but really catharsis <laughs> moving through society and ending ending people up in these places of um, really about as close as to as close to true freedom as you can get without having the homeless experience or an enlightenment experience. And what's interesting about that is you look at people that some of us know that have gone like done their IPOs or become extremely wealthy, they actually go in the opposite direction. So people assume, oh, look, they have it all. They get the big house and the plane and the cars and all, but they never come to this understanding right. as opposed to those that are kind of understanding how less does really mean more. Yeah. When I moved to Oregon, I moved here basically, like I said, with the clothes on my back, two kids, two cats, uh, two horses, and a pregnant dog, and that, and that was it. So I didn't I didn't worry about the the clothes and the appliances and the and uh, all the furniture and everything I left behind because what I took with me was what I was most passionate about. So so we've talked a little bit about taking, you know, our own personal struggles and actually putting them into the houses. Um, nowadays, as I understand, um, you're also involved in sort of um, helping others to understand the zoning implications. And again, this, this becomes a, the movement is so much bigger than us individually. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, advocacy and zoning and, and where you think the tiny house movement is going and how you sort of funnel your own experiences into the benefit of the, of the movement? Yeah, um, that was one of, as I said before, my, one of my original um, reasons for actually building a tiny house. I don't even know if I would have ever built a tiny house if it weren't illegal at the time. <laughs> it, this civil disobedience is one of my um, passions. Right on. And the, the zoning and the codes, you know, out, over the past 20 years, I've seen so much evolution. Uh, some of the newcomers to the movement who are working hard to change these things get... get um, they disparage because it's not happening fast enough. But when you look at the timeline from uh, 20 years ago, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's awesome because the ICC, you know, the Code Council comprised of corporations and others, has actually uh, removed the most constraining minimum size standards due largely, due almost entirely to this movement. Um, one of us got in there and infiltrated the core and, and basically got the that things changed. Dun, dun, dun. So, yeah. <laughs> so the codes are on their way. I am going to actually get to address the Code Council directly for the first time in 20 years in, on October 5th, I'm told. And that'll be fun. Um, but it seems like that's on course. And the zoning is also turning around. It's more complex, I think, because there's so many kinds of zoning. And yet now, thanks to the effort, like, there's a new guard, like these old jerks in the zoning departments and code departments are either dying or getting retired. Um, 
And the younger generation that's coming in totally understands this stuff, at least a lot of the folks I've talked to, and they're changing it. Um, the religious uh, sanctuary clause is one of my favorites. Basically, they've come out and just said, at least in California, they've said, and this would apply everywhere, I'm assuming, that if you're a church or religious institution, you can do whatever the heck you want on your property. Praise um, Jesus. Yes, indeed. Praise <laughs> Satan. <laughs> Whoever flying spaghetti monster, whatever. Flying spaghetti, spaghetti monster, monster church. Yep. Write that yeah. one down. So, so that's a big step forward because there are a lot of giant churchyards that are just rife for tiny house villages. There's wow. also the tri- you know RV park, which seems um, like a pr- it's always been there. You know, tr- tiny house villages have always existed, or at least for a long time, because the trailer parks really are those. Now they're just looking at the problem that, you know, you have to move out every 30 days. That's, yeah. that's, this seems like kind of a small problem overall. And then there's, and, and with the ICC codes changing, you could probably, you could build a whole development of just tiny houses on the ground legally, so long as your municipality is in line with the constitutional law and, and the, um, that, that the zoning be in adherence to just the well-being of the people and the safety and, and whatnot. Right on. So it's all it's all coming very fast. I can't keep up. So for the listeners, I do want to circle back on a technicality. Um, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're speaking about specifically is the code that was changed in, I believe, was it February of 2015, where they changed the minimum room size or reduced the minimum room size for a structure to 70 square feet. I think before that it might have been 120. And um, can you confirm for me that's basically the at the federal level? So the federal government kind of states the basics, and then the, the rest of the municipalities follow. So very slowly, very eventually, but that's kind of how that works. So again, for the purposes of the listeners, um, if they really want to know how this how this landmark legislature happened, can you clarify that I that I've got all the all that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the, as far as federal goes, um, it's kind of hard to make a distinction between corporate or private and government entities these days. But officially, the ICC, the people who make the codes, they are a private entity. But the states and their municipalities just follow their lead because they don't want to have to do all the testing and the liability and whatnot. So, but yes, all of that is true. I and, take um, very good notes at your last speech. So, uh, oh, so thank you. I, you're welcome. So, Jay, I also heard that you were um, involved in one way or another in planning some sort of a, a speaking of community, a development or community out there in California. Yeah, I am. I mean, there are, like I said, there are just so many different fronts zoning-wise that I'm involved in several plans for communities right now. Um, the most promising would be this trailer park in Sebastopol, which just last night they finally um, announced publicly that they were intending for some sort of affordable housing project there that would look cool and be cool, which is to say tiny houses. And what role are you playing in that? Well, I've developed a site plan for the city, and um, I would be playing largely a a political role as sort of a messenger of how cool it would be, both with graphics and words. And um, (laughs) thank you for clarifying. I want to see. I want to see your caricature. So make sure and email that to us first. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, yeah. And then and then there's the uh, the church idea. So I know some uh, people, some good people who are not uh, who actually adhere to the second commandment of not fine you know, putting a name on it too too finitely. Um, and those people involved with these churches are working to get tiny house villages on church properties. Cool. And, um, and of course, up in, in your neck of the woods, tiny house villages are already going up. Um, I think it may be a mistake calling them homeless or I, I would like to see one that's not transitional yeah. or implied as transi- transitional, but actually provides a permanent sense of home since that's really what I'm looking for. And that's really pretty, like the the site plan adheres to the same principles as as what I adhere to in designing tiny houses, which is really efficient and designed for people with a great sense of proportion and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, we're really proud. We're really proud of the of the advancements that have been made in the tiny house movement um, here in the Portland, Oregon, and of course in Washington as well. So. Um, but again, uh, the tiny house movement has yet to really sort of officially adopt tiny houses for the homeless. I think there's some, um, we have a ways to go. Um, there are those of us that build tiny houses that don't want, when we tell someone, it, let live Michelle. in a tiny house. Michelle. <laughs> Michelle's like, one of those people. Oh, I'm sorry you have to live in a tiny house. That's too bad, right? <laughs> so the more that the tiny houses for homeless get out there, um, the less likely that those of us that are really proud of our tiny houses are going to talk about them. So, um, yeah, so the, the movement still has an identity crisis with that regard, but I agree with you in concept. It's, it's sound. Actually, how do you feel about that, Jay? So the idea that the, the p- potential of the tiny house movement being marred by... Kind of watering the brand down. Yeah, watering the brand down by, by having it be perceived by the general public more as a solution to homelessness than a solution to sprawl and McMansions, and therefore mainstream people saying, I don't want to live in a tiny house because that may, makes me look like I was once homeless. Right. I've always, uh, yeah, it's a good question. And as I, as I implied before, you know, I am afraid of that, and that's why I, even though I moved into my first tiny house, the trailer, and then the hand-built one, I moved there from a situation of being homeless, I never advertised that until this very moment. This is the big scoop. Um, but because it's really not, I mean, and I won't even attach the word affordable housing to my yeah. tiny house because of what's, <laughs> I just think really, I think of beige T111 cheap siding when I think of affordable housing. Yep. And yet, you know, it's just implied that, okay, well, I guess if your house is affordable, that would be affordable housing. That's kind of what I'm hoping people would figure out, and they have. But I do, um, even the term tiny house has become a bit scary to me because it is a term now. Apparently, it's a social construct, and people use that. I mean, my ex-company isn't the only one using that term to sell, to do things that I wouldn't personally do. Um, There are a lot of people out there sell using the moniker of tiny house to rip people off because once it's, you know, terms like green, green or sustainable or all natural are totally ambiguous. There is no such thing really as a tiny house, you know, I guess. Officially, that maybe, yeah. People ask all the time, what is a tiny house? Like, so if my house is 402 square feet instead of 398, does it somehow, you know, do I get kicked out of the tiny house club? Right. 
Yeah, I've always been careful to say a tiny house is any house in which all the space is used well, so I don't alienate anybody in that way. Like that would it would be kind of just like being like the the codes people to define it too. Because if you got twenty, well, if you if you're two people and you think you need six thousand square feet to feel comfortable, then I guess. I wouldn't argue with you. I mean, I might secretly think to myself, oh my gosh, maybe you haven't looked at your real needs. But I couldn't argue because who knows, maybe people do need that much space. We actually met a guy, Mark, you may remember this person. I won't say his name, um, but he owns a company here in Portland. And um, he swore, we were talking with him about a business opportunity and we talked about uh, tiny houses and he swore he could not live in anything less than the 6,000 square foot house he Oh, had. that's right. I remember him saying that. I don't remember who it was, but I do. I do remember, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a wow. it's and he a was living by himself. He was living by himself. It's a fascinating self-discovery. I mean, you know, there are hoarders and there are collectors and, and they can't imagine having, you know, um, even my significant other, you know, he literally has multiple houses, um, for all of his stuff. So it's, but we've talked about, you know, here in this conversation is a journey. It's a journey to self-discovery. It's a journey to understanding what you need and, um, and uh, minimizing so that your future is, is, uh, is a better place to be. Totally. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And uh, I like to say there is no black and white and green. Once uh, I met a few um, folks who I would call eco Nazis who have, who definitely have this, uh, have their pulse on the on the public green thing, and they know what's good for you. And what's good for one person really isn't necessarily good for another. And things vary so much. There's so many variables that green is not easily pinned down, or nor is sustainable, nor is tiny. It's just all. It's. I guess we use the terms and we think of certain things just because that's the way we tend to be as as human beings. Okay, so let's do some word association. Speaking about green being amorphous, Uh-oh. I'm going to throw out therapy game. today. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to throw out some words, Jay, and you tell me what you think about it in terms of its green factor. Okay? Oh my gosh! Like Should I just be totally? Is this like one word response or a number or what? One word, uh, whatever you want. Okay. Right. So composting toilets. Cool. Okay. Good. <laughs> okay. Good. Wow. Solar collectors on your tiny house. Maybe cool. If, um, actually, the word that would come to mind first is greenwashing, only in the sense that oftentimes people put the solar collectors up, even if it's not the best, most efficient choice, because they're supposed to be green. And sometimes, and oftentimes they are. Yeah, but we talked about the, that. That was a good response, because oh, yeah. it was totally oh. in line with what the solar guy we talked to last week talked yeah. about. Yeah. Hey, I've got yeah, one. If you're putting up on the north side... How about rainwater uh, collection? Cool. Oh, really? Um, possibly illegal. But <laughs> <laughs> Which you don't all really the cooler. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, airtight tiny house. Very, um, very. I mean, I would say the right way to go. Really? That's three words, but I'm using more than one word in all of these. But okay. yeah, um, building science is just showing that. Airtight but controllable, you know, windows help. I would say, yeah, if you're going to go airtight, make sure you got some windows and or a mechanical fan or vents or whatever. But the breathable wall thing can be problematic, especially in a small space, because condensation issues, especially in a small space, can be bad. 
And if you have any, if you have any cause, if you like watching horror shows and having nightmares, just look at Ella Jenkins' video of her breathable um, ceiling and walls yeah. that uh, totally rotted out by being breathable. It was a nightmare. I didn't I, hear I, about I've this. seen it. It was it was horrible, and I was in the middle of building when I discovered it, and it completely sent me left. I oh. mean, it, it completely so sent me off the rails when I saw that. Hmm. Yeah, it's good to good to know these things before you do them, and then yeah, I guess if you've done them, just don't even look. Don't look in the walls if 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 you did it that way. Although <laughs> there are there are, it can be done right. It's just very hard to do it right. Cool. Well, um, Jay, thank you very much for your time and and your candor in our conversation today. Really appreciate you having a uh, being a guest. It's my my pleasure. Thank you for all the the good questions. You're welcome. And, uh, Thank you. We really, really appreciate your time and your perspective. And uh, this conversation went totally different than I expected, and, and that's awesome. Good. Me too. Fantastic. Oh, good. Boy, I can't believe I said all that stuff. Oh, well. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. Don't go anywhere. Um, so, listeners, we really appreciate you uh, tuning into the Tiny House podcast. And be sure to, if you have a moment, give us a four-star rating on iTunes. And or five, if you oh, really sorry. Like Is it, it five stars? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I suck. Wow. <laughs> hey, listeners. Some days we're uh, the bug, and some days we're the windshield. Thank you, yes. Uh, and then, uh, who are we talking to next week? Sean David Burke with Unboxed House. Unboxed Container Houses. Oh, one of Mark and my favorite. Okay, well, um, tune in next week for that conversation. And until then, see ya, be ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 